one year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I almost tried trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Trappers love game trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Herb Lennon Game Magazine. Instruction from Herb Lennon. Herb Lennon's articles, the Herb Lennon ads to information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. Alright, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet that's working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very bullshit saying the trap, you got bog trap. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get any better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the fur shed, this is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for listening in. It's great to have you guys here. Podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K A A T Z B R O S dot com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cots Bros is the place to go for your trapping supplies and for your lure making supplies. I'm getting ready to place an order of lure making supplies. I get most of my stuff for the lures I make from Cots Bros. I trust them to have quality, consistent product, and I know what I'm getting with Cots Bros. We're also brought to you by OnX Maps. Use your phone as a GPS on the trap line. Actually, I was supposed to call them OnX. I'm probably not supposed to say OnX Maps. Uh, we're going to use the OnX Hunt app. Oh, I'm way off script, guys. I'm sorry. So the company is its such a fast-growing company that they – I don't think they – we kind of get a little bit of guidelines on the ad reads and stuff and what you should say and shouldn't say. And Onyx Maps is not really the way they want to go with the ads. And I'm just in the habit of saying Onyx Maps, Onyx Maps. But it really, Onyx is such a large company now and they're they're growing and spreading out into all kinds of different things. They got the Onyx Hunt app. They have Onyx Off-Road, Onyx Backcountry. They're all over the place. So it's just Onyx. And for us, for trappers, what you're probably going to want to use is the Onyx Hunt app. And the Hunt app is really the way to go. You can uh, mark your trap locations, run your tracks, get landowner information in the areas that you're trapping. So you can help you get permission or make sure you're on the right landowner's property. And uh, you can scout using the latest aerial imagery on the app. It's just so easy. Use it on your phone, on your tablet, on your desktop, wherever. And uh, it is it is incredibly useful on the trap line. Onyx Maps, Onyx Hunt, Onyx whatever. <laughs> Just go to onyxmaps.com, okay? And uh, use the code TRAP when you're checking out, uh, placing your first order to to do your like annual membership, and you'll get 20% off of your first order. Okay. Getting into the episode tonight, guys. I'm looking forward to this. Very excited. We've got Enigmatic Gwitch In. And he says "gwitch in" with a with a pause between "gwitch" and "in," and I gotta figure, I gotta learn how to do that. Um, "Gwitch in," if you're not familiar, is a term used to describe a group of Athabascan Indians 
who are, are natives who are from the Yukon River area, basically between uh, kind of in that general Yukon Flats area. So like the Fort Yukon, they go up into parts parts of Canada uh, and then go downstream a little ways down into the like where the Chandelier River and that kind of that general area. But they are uh, people that have been there for thousands of years and they have a very unique lifestyle and live in a pretty incredible place. And if you remember back when I did the stuff with Jim Furman and where I, I wrote my book, more than Wolverine and Alaska Wilderness Trapline. We trapped at a Fort Yukon. So Gary Simple Enigmatic Gwich'in is Gwich'in is in that general area, just uh, not very far north and and west of where I trapped. He is a trapper, and he has been filming a lot of his stuff, hunting, fishing, trapping, for at least the past year. He's done an incredible job. He started this YouTube channel. And it has continued to grow and grow and grow. And he's got a series right now of his his trap line for you know targeting wolf, wolverine, lynx, catching a few marten as well. And it's been a lot of fun to watch him grow over time and develop this channel. He does a really great job producing and editing videos. Uh, we started corresponding back and forth a few months ago, and I've I've really enjoyed getting the chance to know him and I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode so let's get into it Gary Simple from Venati, Alaska how are you Gary oh not too bad not at all it's just been a been a busy winter and a warm one so trapping's going good and just staying busy so for folks that don't know uh, you go by Enigmatic Gwich'in on YouTube, your YouTube handle, and you get some pretty awesome videos there on trapping in the in the, the Alaska bush. Um, it's kind of neat when I when I first got to know you. I think you had commented you were on one of my YouTube live streams or something, and, and uh, you you remember that? Yeah, just about a year ago. So uh, I first started following you on your podcast. Uh, shoot, it was. Uh, a couple of years ago, I think when you came up here with Jim Furman and was uh, was trapping with him, yeah. I think I caught you around that time, so like around 2020. Yeah, and and, and then so about a year ago, and you you started uh, you started had just started a YouTube channel around then. Yeah, so uh, I I put up a couple of videos like around that yeah 2020 I think or 2019. But about a year ago, uh, we started getting decent internet up here, so I started to upload quite a bit more and to start uh, got a hold of a GoPro and started filming. Boy, that's funny because that's almost that that is very similar to me. Like I started a YouTube channel a long time ago, but I never uploaded videos because we just didn't have the internet connection to do it, and I'd have to use data off my phone, and I it would take hours to do a video. And and when we got a good connection, we got Starlink here. It was just like. Okay, there's no more excuses now. Yeah, time to get it out there. Uh, Starlink just made it up here just a few months ago, so there was a different satellite uh, satellite internet thing that we got a hold of. But, but yeah, without some kind of decent way to upload videos, it becomes uh, quite a hassle to do that. So I, when I found out when I I was chatting with you, I, I'm always fascinated by guys in Alaska just because I I'm kind of. Uh, I've, I've just barely experienced it 
and that's always something that I've dreamed about. And so anytime someone shows up on a YouTube channel or or whatever, I'm, and they say they're from Alaska, I'm like, oh, get in touch with me. Send them my email address. And no one ever does, you know. <laughs> so I, I told you to, uh, I said, I said, get in touch with me. And I was like, ah, this guy's not going to get in touch with me. And the next morning I had an email. And so we've been going back and forth. And uh, I've been watching your channel. And, and it's it was funny, man. We've been watching your, your channel from the beginning. And you just keep cranking out this content, all these different videos, not just trapping, but but life up there on the river fishing hunting everything else and you you do these like really well produced videos you put a lot of work into it it would be like 20 views 15 views 75 views and then slowly it started going up and up and up and up and then i feel like maybe the past month your channel has just kind of exploded oh yeah the within the last month it's got i think about 1200 1200 more subscribers but yeah i just kept on uh sometimes we have multiple uploads a week and so yeah i think it just slowly just built built on built on and you gave me a couple shout outs out there a few times and that definitely bumped it up there so it has been yeah it's been turned out really well uh there's a whole lot of content to be filmed up here the the editing it that takes a bit of time but there's just so much to film that I didn't even get I didn't even get close to filming everything we did up here, and that was while I was working full time last last summer and most of last year. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good to be here for sure. I've always been fascinated by people that say there's nothing to do in small towns. Uh, it, it's oh, it really Christ. just depends on your perspective. <laughs> yeah, there's uh there's a there's people I will say that too that oh they're bored, and I'm like I don't even know what bored feels like. <laughs> this is too much to do all the time. So we should back up uh, and tell people where you are located and uh, how you grew up. I think that would be really uh, interesting for folks. So uh, I'm in uh, Vinita, Alaska. It's kind of on the northern edge of the Yukon Flats, uh, north of Fort Yukon. And so, yeah, I'm 34. My dad was born here in the village. My mom is from the East Coast, and I've been raised here my whole life. And, yeah, it's uh, always been outdoors, trapping, fishing, hunting, and stuff like that. So, it's yeah, it's been a, been a busy life, but a good one up here. And it's a, very, it's a very free corner of the world, that's for sure, with not a whole lot of, not a whole lot of people around, I guess. So that kind of that helps for getting out in the woods. It's not filled with people around. But, uh, but yeah, my name is Gary Simple Jr., but I go by Enigmatic Witch Inn, uh, and yeah, it's, that's just kind of a quick, a quick synopsis of, uh, yeah, grew up here in the village, uh, I'm not too sure. Did you leave for school? Yeah, I, uh, so in the winter, during the school year, I go down, I went down to Tri-Valley in Healy, Alaska, and I would go down there for during the winter, and then I'd come back here in the summer through high school. And so that was cool. I got to kind of see a little more than just what happens here in the village. So I met, met, met people from, I guess you could call a city compared to here. It wasn't very big, but there's still more of a city and stuff like that. So and I went to trade school. went to trade school after high school and met more people from all over the place and ended up moving back here for work. And, and yeah, been married for... 11 years, 12 years this year, or no, 
11 years this year. So <laughs> you're not, your you're wife not better not be listening. You're not supposed to forget that. She's <laughs> looking right at me. <laughs> so was there any doubt in your mind that you, you wanted to go back, uh, go back to your hometown? Or? Uh, I couldn't handle a city for very long. It like the the longest I could really do it was just over the winter. Uh, so every every summer it seemed like no matter what I was doing, I ended up back this way. I worked I worked here and there outside of uh, outside of Inetai as well. But it's once you once you once you're connected to the land and to just the freedom of out here, it's kind of hard to kind of hard to be anywhere else. Now. You, it's got to be a challenge for people in those villages finding work. Uh, what is it that you do for work? So, uh, in a way, it's a little hard with, to deal with work stuff, but uh, I did construction through high school and worked uh, odd jobs and went to trade school for carpentry, electrical, plumbing. So I'm kind of a jack of all religious trades, I guess. So I have, you know, have a CDL, and so I, I can drive a dump truck if I want to. I wire up houses, an electrician, build houses as a carpenter. Oh man, sitting on sitting on the council here, the village council. Uh, so a little bit of everything. Uh, so in the villages, it, it can be kind of hard to find work sometimes. But if you're willing to do any job, there's always something going on. So are you kind of are you kind of self-employed, or do you work for the village? Yeah, right now I work for the village. Uh, I've been a I've been a boat driver for fire crews through BLM. Uh, I when I was younger, I fought fires as a Type Two Type Two wildland firefighter. So we go, they'd fly us out to remote places to fight fires and stuff like that. So, but uh, hand haul firewood for a living. Trap. I've been trapping kind of for a living now for, geez, I don't know, maybe six years seven years, somewhere around there. So, uh, so yeah, that's been going pretty good. When I first really picked up, picked up trapping again, since I was like a teenager, uh, a lot of people were kind of, they were supportive, but they were saying like, Oh, you're not going to, you're not going to make money. Yeah? Like this is just something that you do. It's not something you make money at. So, uh, went to my wife and yeah, we started trapping and not like I make a killing at it, but I mean, it's definitely not, I'm not just burning time though. Every right. year, it's been it's been decent though. Yeah, and you're trapping. Yeah, high, and it's really. You're trapping higher value animals than than a lot of people would be. Yeah, so the years that lynx are the lynx can sell if they sell for at least a hundred dollars a piece will hit will hit that pretty hard. And done years of over 50, 50 lynx in the winter during those times, and but most of the years, the last few years now, it's all been wolf and wolverine. Wolverine is the one that kind of keeps the keeps gas in the snow machine. <laughs> yeah. So how did you get started trapping? Uh, I I must have been eight years old or something like that, or maybe even a little younger when uh, I first had a rabbit line during the winter time. I go out with a few of the older the older boys. Cause I'm older. I mean, just a couple years older, but they take me out and set rabbit snares, and my dad would take me out and set rabbit snares. So uh, I was I was checking my own rabbit line with a 22 probably well before I was 10 years old, and I caught my first fox in a rabbit snare. Uh, same year I shot 
I shot another fox uh, outside my parents, just right outside my parents' house that same year. And so through that, uh, snared rabbits as a kid, uh, muskrat, a little muskrat here and there, a lot of shooting muskrats and stuff like that. And once I got a little older, uh, I would trap with trap lynx with the people I stayed with uh, where I went to high school. He was a lynx trapper. And so, I don't know, it, uh, it never really stuck with me, I think, because no matter like what trapping I was doing, I never got any money out of it. So I think I never really, it didn't really catch on until uh, I have a bad back. I kind of messed it up when I was a teenager and some degenerative disc disease stuff. So I've been through all sorts of uh, stuff to try to get it better through physical therapy and all kinds of stuff like that and injections and stuff. And so we finally gave up on doctors and I needed to do something better for my for my mental health rather than just waiting around for the doctor's offices. So, yeah, so my wife encouraged me to get out in the woods and started trapping full-time every winter, and so been doing that ever since. And it's definitely, it's not, I don't say it's the, the cure for what ails me, but it's a big part of the, the treatment for my for my back pain, that's for sure. Does, does, your, does your pain ease up when you're out there being active? So at uh, 60, something below, you don't really feel a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, and just, yeah, just being active really, really helps. It's, uh, it, you know, like I said, it doesn't cure you, but it at least allows you to keep moving. And as long as I don't ever stop moving, um, I do okay. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of depressing just sitting at home. It, that just, I think it just makes it worse. Yeah, and then waiting on doctors, and they don't know everything either, so can't really blame them it's kind of a revolving door thing when it comes to the medical health system but but yeah so trapping has been really a good way to keep myself in shape and just like to keep moving yeah yeah so can you tell us a little bit about like what your trap line consists of and and the types of sets that you make and the circuit and all that so everything kind of changes year to year some years uh I'll have uh, there's like one one line that's about thirty mile a thirty mile loop that runs under the mountain here. Uh, there's a few old burns that kind of surround the village, so that loop kind of encompasses a good amount of acreage that hasn't burned kind of closer to the village. And in some years, when the links when when I'm hitting the links stuff, there'll be extra smaller lines kind of circling closer to town or on the river, depending on depending on if there's a lot of overflow. And this year, there's been a lot of overflow on the river, so I haven't done too much uh, setting traps down there. I don't want to get traps stuck on the other side of something I can't cross. So, And this year has been quite a busy one. So instead of having the entire loop set up, I have been going out and hitting hitting all the sweet spots and going after, kind of going after wolf a little more, too, because uh, a couple packs that are around here have been, I don't know, they're their whole roaming area has changed because the caribou haven't wintered down here this year. So I've been actually been able to go after wolves pretty good. So, so yeah, in the years with lynx, there's the, the lines are a lot longer. So we'll run a 30 mile loop and then smaller, smaller straightaways that I end up driving back on, but I don't, I don't like running out lines where I have to drive back on the same trail. Yeah. So until until Lynx jumps up there again, there's most of it's going to be going out and just going after the wolves in particular. So, 
So ooh, a lot of it's uh, a lot of the gear out there right now is just three thirties for Wolverine and uh, Cubby sets, and I put a bunch of those on YouTube with the three thirty Cubbies. But uh, I know a lot of people have a lot of suggestions about my Wolverine sets, but I I haven't had a refusal on my Wolverine sets in three seasons now. So if Wolverine finds my if Wolverine finds that Cubby, he's gonna stick his head in there. So I've I don't want to say I figured it out, but uh, <laughs> I've got it. I've got it down at least on the Wolverine side, pretty good. A uh, lot of wolf snares, like a lot of wolf snares, just hang. When it comes to wolves, it's just good to hang as many snares as you can possibly get out there, and that really, that really makes a big difference. And uh, and yeah, the Wolverine, the Wolverines, I think they're a little different in some areas. So I think the the cubby sets that I've been using have worked pretty good for my area. And wolf traps too, so a lot of Bridger, Bridger number five, uh, double long spring or coil springs, and so that's what I've mostly got out there. I've got a couple link sets in this year, just because, uh, so they won't gum up my all my 330 bear sets. So I'll, I'll have a link set close by, so if the link does come, hopefully he'll get get in the trap instead of uh, filling up a 330 where Wolverine might end up missing it. And and there's actually been quite a few Martin under the... Uh, so my area down here is kind of a little lower than most of the elevation where Martin like hanging out. But because there's so much... Ra- the rabbit population has come back so quick, uh, there's been Martin even here in the lower lower area. So so I put out a few more Cubby or uh, Martin boxes this last trap check. And so I've gotten about, I think, three, three Martin so far this year. Never didn't really try to catch them too hard, so... There might be a couple more waiting out there right now. So, and I picked up another another wolf on Saturday. So I'm to five wolves, three Wolverine, four lynx, and three Martin right now. Very nice. Uh, I, and I've heard from other trappers in Alaska this year that Martin seem to be everywhere for some reason. Yeah, I it's kind of odd. So a couple of years ago, the same thing happened with Wolverine, <clears throat> the fur buyer. The fur buyer that uh, I sell my fur to, Bill Boboda, I've heard you talk about him too. You've sent some yep. fur to him too as well. Right? Yeah, and uh, a couple of years ago, I remember him saying that everybody was bringing Wolverine. So there's there's some funny little spikes and different animals around. And so uh, I don't know if it's completely statewide, but it's definitely some changing changing stuff, whether it's the rabbit population or the warmer winter this year, because it's way warmer winter this year. So maybe that has something to do with there being more Martin around. Um, I had to, I had to laugh when you when you said talked about those Wolverine sets. You'll notice the more YouTube viewers you get, the more opinions you're gonna hear on your trapping methods. <laughs> oh yeah, it's been it's been pretty good though. There's uh there's a few guys that really they know a lot. Let's just put it that way. Yeah? And so it's been it's been cool listening to. You know, listening to them and getting their feedback on a lot of this stuff. So most of it's not too bad, but uh, but yeah, there's definitely people out there have been trapping a heck of a lot longer than I've been alive. So I'll definitely take take their advice into consideration for sure. Yes, take it into consideration. But it it like as you know, nothing is a nothing fits every situation. Every every place is unique, and like you said, your type of sets might not work in somebody else's line, and vice versa. Oh yeah. And uh, I'll try out different sets too out there just to see how they work. Uh, 
so a lot of the, a lot of the stuff has been suggested to me. Like I'll start putting, I'll start trying them out just to see how they work on my line as well. Yeah. Um, and you got how how long how long do you typically trap in the season? Uh, it'd be nice if I could get out there. So with Wolverine and stuff like that, they're good even in the beginning of December. But uh, I don't know. It's for the longest time I've been kind of trapping around the same time Lynx kind of stuff is happening. So usually Lynx here are good right after Christmas time, and trap up until until April until it starts getting too warm. And Lynx drops off before then. Wolf is the one that you go after up until then. Wolverine, I think, drops off in uh, March as well. Their seasons end there. But, uh, yeah, some this year was kind of a later one. There was some uh, just a whole lot of busy stuff going on here, and I didn't get out. Uh, my trap line didn't get set for almost a month later than usual, but but I just got a lot of steel out there, so... And a lot of a lot of baiting and stuff out there, so it's been going it's been going pretty good. It'd be nice to get out there from end of November till April. That would be the the best time. But this year is uh, about halfway into January before I had stuff out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, do, so this village that you live in, you're are you somewhere between 150 and 200 people there? Yeah, so it's uh, it's probably closer to. Right now, it's for at least the last couple of years, it's been right around 200, depending on workers that come and go for different projects here as well. So I would say 200. And are there other trappers in the village? Uh, there's a few, or let's put it this way, they're everyone everyone my dad's age and up, so everyone probably 60 years on up, like they they all trap at some point in time. So just about everybody in town that has been around for a while has been trapping the since the prices dropped off and stuff most people can't afford to trap but uh I'll I'll show people pictures or older guys around town show them pictures of what I've been catching and it it brings them right back like all of a sudden it was like oh when I when I trap you know I do it this way and they they just hit me with so many like tips and tricks and stuff it's just I uh, the learning, the learning curve with me when I picked this back up uh, years, like was six, seven years ago, the learning curve was uh, wasn't really there because there was so much people telling me like, you said it this way, you said it that way, so it really is a yeah. Quick, you don't know what to jump. use and what not to. Yeah, so they, there's a, and uh, so yeah, just what every every guy my dad's age and older, like they all trapped through the 70s, 80s, they. They talk about times where a lynx was like a lynx uh, kitten was like a thousand dollars, and a and a blue fox was like fifteen hundred dollars, and like it was just like you could buy a new snow machine with a couple with a like you know two lynx back then. Yeah, and so they they probably still have their quote trap lines or places where they used to trap, and they still kind of consider that their country. Yeah, and a lot of it's uh, a lot of it's grown over or burned up, uh, like a lot of it. So, so yeah, they start talking about their trap lines and that head in this direction and that direction. And so I've I've opened up some some areas that have been kind of grown over for a while, uh, but a lot of them head off in different directions because every so every family would kind of have their own area that they would drive out and have a cabin at and trap from. But a whole lot of those areas have all burned up already. But yeah, they they'll both they'll tell you right about their trap lines. The second you start talking about trapping and stuff, and it's 
it's a definitely a love they carry with them for sure. And and the the years of telling of not telling their secrets or their areas, all that is kind of gone now. Every they're just happy that somebody's trapping. Yeah, exactly. I I bet they 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 like the fact that somebody younger is trapping because I'm guessing there aren't too many other younger people over there that are trapping. Not really. There's a there's a couple people, uh, a couple younger guys, younger than me, that will hang a hang a couple snares or something in their wood yards when they're out hauling wood and stuff like that. And so every once in a while, someone will scoop up a wolf or you know lynx here and there. But and the price of Martin. So so the guys that wood trap right now, if the price of Martin was you know anything at all, they would probably have their lines and and so those most. Mostly those are just Martin lines up into the mountains. Okay. And you don't have one of those? No. Um, I've been down here in the flats. Uh, sooner or later, I'll probably start trapping towards Fort Yukon. So that's uh, that's the village my wife is from. So sooner or later, I'll probably start trapping down that way for Wolverine and Wolf. But, uh, but yeah, the Martin lines up into the mountains, the couple lines that are decent up that way, have, they, both of those lines have somebody that will run them if the if the price is right so you had talked about maybe so right now you're trapping from home basically going and coming from home but you talked about building a cabin you still got plans for that yeah so uh about 17 18 miles kind of northwest of here underneath the mountain we so back when covid first kind of popped up and all the lockdowns and stuff we went up and peeled logs and got it kind of got the, the spot picked out my great my great grandmother had a cabin up there under the mountain years ago and it burned up in 2011 or something like that so yeah we have logs we pulled them out uh, we were hoping to get the logs up this last fall but it ended up getting too busy with work and stuff so so yeah we have logs sitting up there and we'll be hitting that this summer at least getting the logs up and then trying to trying to coordinate how to get plywood and tin roof and stuff, which is just outrageously expensive to get up here. So we'll be working on that little by little as well. Nice. So you'll have a, that, that'll be kind of like a, a base ca- cabin for some of your trap line. Yeah. So, uh, actually my sister and her boyfriend cut, uh, reopened an old trail above that, that cabin site. So yeah, that'll be a, that'll definitely be a base camp for trapping and stuff. And, one of my uncles has a cabin a few miles from there, so him and his and my cousins they they'll trap they'll trap some years up to that cabin. So if they're not trapping that area, they would probably let me trap it, or you know, vice versa. So, but yeah, that's going to be a nice one to have is to just be able to, and it's not just going to be a little trapping cabin. We got you know long enough logs to build like a decent by twenty by twenty by twenty, and then add on to that. So it'll be good. A good family house to if we need to we need to escape from the village from the from the big village life we can just uh we can just take off and go to the cabin. <laughs> Everybody needs a camp or a cabin, no matter where you're where you're at, huh? <laughs> yeah, we have we have camps. We have uh we have a fish camp down towards like what halfway to Port Yukon that we that we stay in in the summer times when we fish when we fish for king salmon when they're allowed to fish for king salmon. And uh, my dad has a uh, duck camp up by the lake here. Probably seen it in some of my videos. There's a big lake that I'll drive across. Yeah. But uh, my parents have a my parents have a duck camp there in the springtime, and a different area down downriver for geese hunting. There's another camp there, and that cabin site 
that cabin site that I mentioned earlier, we have a campsite there as well. So we have a lot of campsites, just no cabins built out there yet. So we need to start getting actual cabins up. So that way we don't have to worry about bringing wall tents and, you know, wood stoves and the whole shebang. We can just, we can just grab our, just our travel gear and take off to them. Yeah. Uh, people probably don't realize how hard it is to get supplies uh, up there. Oh, man, yeah, the, really, like, right now, I guess you could bring it in on a snow machine, but everything is flowing in. Because so, you can't even so really a take, way to get, get a barge stuff. to the village, right? No, uh, I, have a, I have a boat with a jet unit on there, so I can travel to Fort Yukon, and if I wanted to all the way to Circle, Circle City, which is connected to the road system. But by that time, it's almost worth just to pay the outrageous amount of uh, for air freight. So air freight is anywhere between 50 cents a pound and $2 a pound. Yeah, a 4 by 8 sheet of plywood is probably pretty expensive <laughs> to freight. Oh, man, a, one, one sheet of plywood costs more, just for, more than double... More than double what it costs just to get it on the plane for the freight side of it. So it's yeah, it's pretty outrageous. How do people how so do people couple, live there with the cost of, of supplies, the cost of food uh, just through the roof? I mean, I know you got a lot. You're able to get a lot of meat off the land, you know, fish and moose and caribou. But I mean, it must be kind of hard to to live. Oh yeah, it's definitely not cheap. There's uh. There's quite a few like projects and stuff uh, that happen around here. So, so if you're able to get the to get the supplies and get it to one of the airplane and the airfields in Fairbanks or Anchorage, sometimes when they bring in freight for different projects, they can they can kind of fit some of your you know your gear your stuff on onto there. But <clears throat> so my so my snow machine costed eleven hundred dollars to ship from Fairbanks to here. Uh, my airplane. <laughs> so that's just kind of a, so that's just kind of an idea. So like a snow machine to get it here, it's, and that was and that was four years ago. So it's it's gone up even more since there. Then I think it's closer to fifteen hundred dollars for to get a snow machine here now. And the the crazy thing is, even if you could drive it up the river, you probably wouldn't save any money. You're so far away. Yeah. So it's uh Unless the snow machine's already broken in, you probably wouldn't want to take the, the journey from Circle to Fort Yukon, Fort Yukon to here on snow machine. And you probably have to wait till around now, too, when everything is frozen. Are you, what are you like? And all the you, rivers and stuff. You must be like 100 miles from Circle, or are you more than that? Uh, I haven't exactly, so I'm, we're 70, 72 miles from Fort Yukon. Oh, you're uh, more than River that, miles, then. that is. Yeah, you're more. Yeah, so we're... I think 72 river miles from here to Fort Yukon and probably at least that I, I want from to, Fort Yukon to Circle. Yeah, I want to say it's at least 60, at least. So. Yeah, so if you know the right channels to take, because there's a thousand, a thousand <laughs> islands between Fort Yukon and Circle, and the, the Yukon is just ridiculously wide there. Yeah, but, like uh, a thousand, like but, not <laughs> exaggerating a thousand. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely a thousand islands between there. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, from Fairbanks, the closest city. So I remember years ago, my, my grandfather had a GPS. And so from, from, from the Fred Myers and Fairbanks to my parents' house is about 155 miles. 
or something like that from Fairbanks, but that's Air Miles. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's a it's a little ways from there. It's about an hour and a half hour and a half uh, flight time from Fairbanks to here. Between an hour and hour and a half. Yeah. 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 Pretty isolated. So it's a it's a unique community, not only because it's isolated, but you guys have quite a a history that's a little different than than the rest of Alaska villages. Yeah, we uh, so our our land here started off as a reservation even before Alaska was a state. And when ANSA came through, the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act came through in the seventies. Uh, there was a little under two hundred, I would say, one hundred and eighty tribes that signed into that, and that was all for that was to run the pipeline from Prudhoe Bay down to Valdez. And we were one of the only tribes in the state that held on to our tribal sovereignty and our subsistence rights. Just about all but three of us signed away everything to the government. So in or, so you kept your land. You have, like, what is it, close to 2 million acres of tribal land, of reservation land? Yeah, so so we, so we it's not a reservation anymore. It's a private it's private property, like held underneath the, by the by all the tribal members here, and yeah, it's about one just a hair under 1.8 million acres between the Yukon and then up into Anwar. Yeah, so it's you guys in Arctic Village, right? That that have that. Yeah. When it's when we when we first formed here, there was four villages: one down by the Yukon, one east of here called Christian Village, and Arctic, yeah, and Vinitai. What was the one by the Yukon? Uh, it was just called Fish Camp. Okay. So where my, so where my great grandmother, kind of my grandmother, like at certain point in times, grew up down there, and when there was and when there was sickness came through, that's where people kind of they kind of spread out to kind of stay away from each other back in the forties and stuff like that, and yeah, back in the early twenties or something like that. Yeah, so. I know my my grandmother told told me stories about her leaving with her younger brother, my 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 grandpa, I consider my grandpa, and uh, yeah, leaving the village here back in the 40s when everybody was getting sick, and it was uh, yeah, there was uh, some rough times for sure back then. And back in those, like if you look on the old maps or some of the old books that I've read, that was called Vinatai was called Chandelar Village, right? Uh that's what was. Uh, I guess other people might have called it, yeah, Chandler Village. I think when it was written down by people on the outside, it was called Chandler Village. But uh, it's Tejinjika, the name, the original name of the, the river is Tejinjik. And uh, I'm not exactly sure who named it Chandler. Some people want to want to have the name changed back to the Gitchkin name of Tejinjik, but uh, it's just so, I don't know. Everyone calls it the Chandelier, so it's kind of yeah, it's kind of kind of kind of like the Black River, you know. It's just so much easier to call it the Black River. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I mean, in certain ways, they can they can use both names, I guess, and still get away with it. But uh, but yeah, that's a what is what is a definitely a, there's definitely mean? a long history. Ah, uh, that's a that's a one that's up really up for debate. There's a lot of. There's a lot of different stories about what Vinitai means. There's Vitai, Vitai, like there's a it's a it's a it's a whole other argument there. My uh, my brother Patrick Simple has a YouTube channel and he interviewed my dad Gary Simple Senior uh, a few weeks ago and they went into that 
kind of a little more detail talking about the what my great grandmother that was around back in I think she was born in like 1912 or something like that and what so what she what she was told from back then what it was what it was called uh, and what you know the shape of the the shape of there's an outcropping here a huge cut bank and so yeah there's a there's a few different if you ask three different people you have three different answers on what beanie type means <laughs> Uh, we're way off trapping, but I don't care. This is fascinating to me. So um, I want to talk more about it. How about more about you, your brother? What it, I've, I'm, I follow his channel. Uh, it's a real small channel. He's doing a lot of cool stuff like preserving history in that f- for the village. Uh, like what's his deal? What does he do? He, he's not a trapper, I, d- I don't think. So for so just about a year now, he started – uh, my dad had, I don't know, 800 different tapes of, uh, like, just so many different from hunting, from hunting activities back even far back as in the early 90s, I think, all the way through to now. There was uh, the mini-DV tapes, uh, High 8, I think, and a few other ones. And so my brother started to digitalize them, and he picked up, he started so he started off with my dad's stuff and pictures and my grand great great grandmother and my grandmother and my aunt that have all passed now all their photos kind of preserving them like you know by getting them getting them on the hard drives and you know making sure that a fire doesn't take out all those just awesome videos and pictures and so he's been doing that around town now he's, people have been sending him and giving him stuff from uh, the villages around here like surrounding villages too have been talking to him about getting uh preserving all that stuff so that's what he's been doing that almost like a full-time job now for just about a a year (laughs) yeah so he's he's preserving history that might just be destroyed by uh a box in the rain outside (laughs) it'd be that easy to destroy so much history so it's uh it's really amazing yeah he's been doing really good uh he he posts a lot of stuff on facebook as well and just to kind of bring attention to all the stuff that happened in the past and stuff. So he has a YouTube channel and he's been, he's been starting to interview my dad talking about the history of Vini Pie and different, different historical stuff. And he's going to be, he's planning on interviewing a lot more elders around here because a lot, there's been a lot of people that have passed, but he's going to start getting a lot of, he's going to start getting a lot of stuff down on tape from elders and stuff like that. So I know there's a few people that are going to be sending him boxes of old, of old tapes. He's found tapes from, as far back as I think the sixties or something like that. And they've been degraded pretty badly, like audio recordings of uh, elders that have long passed. But, uh, so he's really doing a, he's really doing a good job at preserving our history. So if he hadn't done it, who knows if anyone would have ever done it. So I'm yeah, glad that he's exa- been hitting exactly. that. He's putting in a lot of, a lot of work to do it. And I'm glad, I'm glad someone's willing to do it. Cause I know it, <laughs> he must, he must really like it. He must enjoy it. Yeah, I think it's uh something he kind of you know, kind of tripped into and end up uh, end up doing. But I think he he definitely understands the value of what he's saving. And uh, yeah, so I actually put up a couple videos that my wife edited this within this last week of moose hunting up in the up towards Arctic Village, uh, up in the Brooks Range. And he went hunting with me this last fall, and yeah, it was a it was a su- successful hunt. We went up and shot a moose and came back. It was like a four or five day trip. He looked. He looked cold. <laughs> <laughs> Those last couple of days was raining and sleeting and all sorts of. Uh, I was uh, definitely wasn't the warmest, <laughs> the warmest time out there. 
<laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty cool. I haven't watched the last one. I did that. That must that came out like last night, right? Or sometime. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, I came up this. Uh, yeah, last. Yeah, yesterday. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, we're four hours difference in time here too. So you're still in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not even eleven o'clock yet. <laughs> so when I start dropping those premieres, those videos, I try to. I'll try to at least do it before, like at least by four o'clock our time here. So, yeah, so, so yeah, people a lot, of, a lot of people on the east coast that watch it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so is Patrick? Yeah. Is he younger than you? Or yeah, yeah, he's a couple of years younger than me. I've uh, he's the next one after after me and my my brother, my two brothers, and my sister. Oh, so there's four of you. Five. Of yeah. You. So. Four uh, <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, four of us. So yeah, three three boys and a and a girl. My my parents had. Yeah. And so why? And I'm the oldest one of them. Why did Patrick stay? Is it did he he just not want to be in in the big city either? Uh he worked worked off and on here and doing. He's done a lot of different stuff too as well. Like you just when you're in the village, you just have to work, be able to work a lot of different jobs, the construction and different stuff like that, running different projects. He was. Uh, he went through the village council here and stuff too, and but uh, oh, and uh, he was a hotshot, hotshot firefighter, and so was my my other brother. He runs some projects here in the village now, but they were both they were both uh, wildland firefighters, hotshot firefighters. Yeah. And so I never I never got into the hotshot firefighters. I just did the type type two wildland firefighter, which is a little not as intense of uh, an outfit. <laughs> yeah. But they've got to be willing to travel all throughout the state, right? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. So the the state has gotten rid of most of the most of the Type Two wildland firefighter crews around the state, and now most of them are hot shot or contract crews. So uh, it's been a little harder for them to man fires lately since they got rid of all the the village crews. Because it used to be that every village had had a fire crew. And there'd be lists of you know like fifty villages that had fire crews, and now I think they've gotten rid of most of them. So yeah. when I first started, when I first started firefighting here in like two thousand two thousand nine was the first year I started firefighting here. And in our village, we had like two and a half fire crews, and so each fire crew is about twenty guys. Oh wow, wow! In sixteen and twenty guys. So at that time, so in two thousand nine, there was like two and a half crews here. And and now, like you, most of them wouldn't even want to firefight, but you you probably could barely scratch together one crew. There's just been a lot of people that moved away to the city, or and a lot of people that have passed away. It's yeah, it's a yeah. Used to hear quite the villages, a bit. About, the villages all over suffering. Used to hear quite a bit about people um, that that would fight fires in the summer and trap in the winter. That was you know the firefighting income was what got people by through the off year off season when they weren't making money catching fur. Yeah. So yeah, when I was a kid back in the nineties, that was, that was most of, yeah, that's what most guys did here. Even since, uh, I think when they really started taking up people around here in the seventies, when they started coming in and bringing uh, crews out, yeah, most of them would, yeah, they would firefight in the summertime and trap in the winter and work whatever little projects are around. But, Recently, there's been a whole lot more work and a lot more projects going on, and at least in a few different villages, in our village for sure. But uh, firefighting, at least since the 90s, firefighting hasn't really been a way to make money, like not steady money. 
unless you unless you're willing to go and live in a live in a dorm somewhere and uh, go jump on whatever fires pop up. Yeah, you want a but job. Yeah, where, a, you want a job where you can still live kind of a subsistence lifestyle and and have work to to give you the cash you need. But you want to be able to go hunting and fishing and trapping when you know when the time comes, right? Yeah. So for years and years, I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't jump on a project unless I knew there was an end date, so that we could go to we could go to fish camp or we could you know trap or hunt or travel and stuff like that on the river. So, and the last year I kind of I kind of started working a little more. So I've been kind of trying to trying to keep myself from getting too tied into full time work all like <laughs> like year round. Cause that's just, that's the that's kind of the death of uh, the death of our traditional way of life is just work. Uh, like they there's people that'll blame the blame uh, like the traditional lifestyle like loss on a lot of different stuff. But when it comes down to it. You're working full time. You can't go trap, or you can't go to fish fish on the river for you know months in the middle of summertime and stuff like that. There's just, there's not many jobs out there where you can get away from work for those those amount of time. Like it's just not really feasible. Yeah, and that's why I've got all so many questions about the villages because the it, it's it's there's a lot of parallels with small towns where I'm from, where I grew up. Where, where we just like continue to lose population and not grow population because the young people move to the city and to, to find work and people just do not stick around. And so there's just, you've got a bunch of old people and, and there's no young people left to, to kind of support the community. So, so it's interesting to me. And, and I always wonder like, you know, what keeps, what brings people back to the village and how can they, uh, continue to stay and also like make a living for their family at the same time. I mean, what, what do you like? Yeah. You have, when, sorry. You have thoughts on that? On so what I, yeah. So I, I got a lot of thoughts on that. I got, <laughs> I got a lot of thoughts in my head, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, when I was a kid growing up, like in the nineties, everybody was saying, you need to get out of the village. Uh, you need to go, you need to go to work or you need to go to school. Like you need, you need to get out. Uh, like you need to, you need to get out and go out to the city. Uh, that was the whole. That was the whole spiel. And not too many people said you need to go to school. You need to go, you know, go work and then bring that back here to the village. Uh, yeah. So that's what I push for now with a lot of the younger younger people. When I when I talk to them, I try to tell them to you know yeah go you know get trained up go you know find work you know get a trade or something then come back here and help you know help your village run because there's been so. I'm guessing it's probably like that in other places, like the small towns you're talking about down there. Is there's probably an older population of people when they were younger telling them that they need to go to the city, or their friends from the city say how great the city is. So like you got to go to the city. But in reality, a lot of people I grew up with, like the city hasn't done anything good for them, like at all. It's not a yeah. The, the grass is not greener on the other side. <laughs> no, and it's just like. It's like mentally and spiritually draining for someone like uh, like us, like my family here that grew up in the woods, like and stuff. And then you try to go live in the city where all you're doing is working year round, and you're dealing with a million other problems. And every village has problems. Like uh, my village here has a lot of problems too, and just like everywhere else with drugs, alcohol, and all sorts of stuff. But when it comes down to it, it's still. I don't know. When you're connected to the land, like we are, like uh, my whole, like my people traveled all year. We didn't, even just staying in a village is kind oh, of. Oh, yeah, that's a huge change in itself. It's kind of foreign. Yep. 
Yeah, so so that happened when school started popping up back in like the 40s and 50s. Uh, people were trying to tell like tell tell people that were living out on the land that they need to come back so their kids could go to school, uh, and so that really ended a lot of that ended a lot of uh, of areas where people used to live out in the woods as well. But but yeah, it's really a it's kind of sad. There's a lot of people out there that are so connected to the land up here, but they force themselves to live in the city where it's just so mentally draining when you're so connected to the land. Like it just it just calls out to you, like to, to go back and go out there. Yeah, <laughs> it like it darn near literally does do that. It's just it's very it's so healthy being out there in the woods. Like it's just so mentally like it's just spiritually uplifting. It's just all. Being in God's creation is is medicine in itself. So it, another that's an interesting point you bring up about the the people who live in the village aren't even getting out on the land in a lot of cases because now you know they used to be moving around from place to place, and the 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 thing is like back in the back in the old days, it wasn't all glory either. You know they were and a lot of time a lot of times they were starving to death, so the, it was a very oh, difficult life. Uh, but the, it's like they went from one extreme to the other, you know, from starving to eating candy bars in in a ho- in a cabin in the village and not not even getting out on the land. Yeah, so villages a long time ago, villages. If you went to the village, there was a there was a chance that you could starve huh? because there's just not enough not enough game close to the village to handle the amount of people that were living here. So. We're kind of and we're kind of on the edge of like starving, like starvation country, yeah, where it's not a whole lot of game, like like I've seen when I've gone to other places, even lower 48 and stuff, where there's just deer and moose just hanging right around the city and stuff like that. Up here, it's a little, it's a little more sparse. So they knew that if you went to the village, like to send your kids to school, there's a chance that there's a chance that you could go hungry, yeah, yeah. because there's just not enough food. That was before that was before all the government assistance and stuff like that that helps all our villages run now which is which is one way a lot of the villages do run is off of government assistance oh, it's just I, how it is now absolutely and uh i i guess i mean it's you shouldn't have to choose do i want to be free and starve <laughs> or do i want to do i want to eat and be in chains but from you know the the uh the hands of the government yeah it's a it's a definitely a difficult one um most all the villages Probably all the villages in Alaska run off of government federal federal grant money, so we're all tied to the government in some way. When you guys decided not to give up your land, did you uh, did you sacrifice some of that assistance or programs? Yeah. So a lot of what happened was that the government promised money in the future if they were to sign sign their right kind of signed their rights away and a lot of that was kind of like the small print uh, and stuff like that and so there was even when that happened there wasn't a whole lot of people that spoke english very well and stuff like that and so a lot of people were kind of tricked into signing and a whole lot of that kind of stuff so yeah we definitely lost out on the chance to get money from corporations and stuff because we so you're not you're not a member you're not a member of any of the corp of the uh like doyon or any of those no, no, no. Like uh, my wife is a Doyon member because she's from uh, Fort Yukon, oh, okay. and so yeah. Fort Yukon, Fort Yukon has the corporation, yeah, Doyon down there. But we up here, we don't have a corporation. We're just part of the Native Village of Unitai Tribal Government, uh, like a tribal member through them. 
so you do get assistance, but you don't get tribe, you don't get uh, shareholder uh, rights, and we don't get stock. Yeah, yeah, we don't get shareholder dividends or anything, but we do have the we have the ability to use the land under our feet, and so that's the most important thing to me and to most of us here that understand how important that is. So, so how does this work? the 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 state manages the fish and wildlife populations, which move around on your land and off your land. Um, but you kind of have these rights that are grandfathered in. So how does management work? I'm assuming that you have more rights than I would, but I'm also assuming you can't just go do whatever you want. Yeah, there's a, there's a fine line. Uh, so the government is always in the position to allow you to sign your land in the trust. So that's what uh, reservation land and stuff like that. It's all trust. Uh, so the government, the government would own it, and so they're always trying to push for that too. So, so we have people poaching stuff up here that people that fly in, fly in and poach, and it happens quite often. And uh, so fish and game are kind of on the point, like, well, you guys, you guys aren't in trust, uh, so like you guys have to deal with it yourself. Okay, so and they're so not they're not enforcing point. it, even though the law the law applies, hey. but they're not enforcing it. They kind of hold that over. They kind of hold that over us as a way to try to tell us, like, "Oh, you guys should have your land in trust, and then we'll come up there and we'll we'll take care of it." Uh, but it's a uh, it's a very slippery slope when it comes to dealing with the government. And so, so the so the guy that the school is named after here, John Fredson, he he was one of the I think he was the first first Athabascan, Alaska Native to graduate from graduate from uh, secondary school at college, and. Uh, he came back up here with that knowledge, and he he went to a lot of the tribes in the Yukon Flats and tried to tried to form a huge reservation that would have encompassed what is now the Yukon Flats. But uh, but a lot of people didn't understand or were being led by different factor, different 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 stuff was going on. And so he was able to get uh, Fish Camp, Christian Village, Vinitide Arctic together to form the reservation, and so he. He drilled it into everyone here that you don't sign your rights away for anything, for money, for, for any reason. And when I was growing up, that was pounded into me pretty hard by all the elders around here, a lot of them that have now passed. But growing up, it was you never sign your rights away. You never send, sign your land away for anything, for any amount of money. And so that's what I, that's what I pound into, into, into anyone that will listen to me now and my daughter and stuff like that because my – my daughter was removed from the Doyon shareholders because to my wife, she became a Doyon shareholder. But Doyon, it's always, it's kind of been a battle from the Vinitai side of it because they, they don't want Vinitai getting any money from corporations because, of, because we opted out of ANSA. And that was in the 70s. And so it's just, and they're still kind of attacking us in a way from different sides like that. And so it's really... Just don't sign your land away, and that's so. That's the mantra that we have here, and so that's what we'll hang on to for as long as we can. <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite interesting. So you have like like half of the where you're at, like one side of the river is tri is tribal land, and the other side is is uh, like public land, right? Ah, uh, yeah, state state land. Uh, Some federal. Yeah, there's a. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. It's a bit it's a bit odd. Like there's different parts that are state, and then like the Yukon Flats, like reserve kind of thing going on. And then further upriver, it's 
output into federal, state, and Anwar even further up. So it's really the land across the river from us here and there could be like it could be different. It could be under different entities altogether. It's it's a little complicated. But you don't, you probably just, I mean, you don't have, I'm guessing you don't have a, too many people that, that want to go. And do you, do you let people hunt on your lands, on your tribal lands? So in a way, like people will bring their friends to go hunting and stuff like that. But, uh, it's not really set up for us to, to like guide service. Like it's, that would be kind of frowned upon if we like guided hunts for people up here. Uh, trapping is different. Like if you brought someone up to go trapping and stuff, that's not probably not going to be frowned upon. But but letting people use the land for hunting, that's not really a thing that is really allowed, I guess, in a way. So I'm guessing that the the tribe the or the village council, you guys probably have these discussions all the time on, on uh, you know, everybody kind of has to buy into things that happen on that ground. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's a little complicated, especially because we have a lot of uh, a lot of hunters that float through part of our land up there. So it, and it's they they pull out they pull out their boats and are their inflatables and fly out before they even get close to Vinita here. So it's kind of hard to know. It's just a whole lot of land when we don't have airplanes to patrol it. Huh? So it's, <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing you don't have you don't have a tribal uh, fishing game enforcement type of uh, agency. No, that's definitely something that we're looking into for in the future is to have something set up like that, so we can, so we can have some kind of enforcement over it. But it's, like I said, it's kind of a fine line because we're not in trust with the government, so the government's not going to allow, allow us to enforce. We're just, we're just, we're just sitting on a huge chunk of private property. That's what, that's what we're kind of sitting on. Yeah, yeah. It, no, it makes it, it makes sense. Um... I can I can kind of see both sides of that issue. Why it would be hard, it would be hard to have that, you know, like like you couldn't manage the caribou herd because the caribou herd is constantly moving, right? It it might be on federal land yeah. one day, state land the next day, and tribal land the next day. Oh yeah, or all at the same time huh? on both sides <laughs> of the river. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and that and that herd will go all the way into Canada too. So it's yeah, it's a. It's a bit spread there, so the the different the the different jurisdictions are kind of all over the place too. So it's a yeah, it's a very odd one, that's for sure. And we're so far away from everything too that it's kind of it's hard for a fishing game to enforce anything when they're 150 miles away. Well, you don't even have a cop in the village, right? Uh not full time. We're working on there's a yeah we're working on some stuff but yeah just kind of just kind of village security to whoever is willing to help that's just kind of how it's how it's been for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah it's 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 incredible it's a whole it's an entirely different world. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a bit complicated but it's it's really free though. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had a buddy once come. I had a buddy once come and uh, took him up to the lake here and went went shooting and stuff. And he's like, "Man, you guys are on the promised land." And I was like, "Oh, I never really, uh, I never really thought about it that way before." But I mean, it's uh, it wasn't wrong. Sometimes you don't realize it until you show someone from 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 away that, and then it's like, "Oh, wow, yeah, I guess I do. I am pretty fortunate." I've had people say that to me, like, "You don't realize how lucky you are, man." 
Yeah, yeah, I gotta remind myself that too. Also, like when we're dealing with the we're dealing with the the problems that are like you know problems in every village, and gotta remember that hey, like when it comes down to it, we're just so blessed to have our land here and to and to be able to live the way we do. Yeah, I I uh, I feel that there is a lot more. You're one example of this. There's a lot more opportunity now with the internet and with high-speed internet for people to stay in those small villages and to potentially, you know, bring in some income from online uh, into those villages and be able to stay there. Yeah, and there's also a lot of people that will sit and watch... uh sit and watch netflix all day and night too though so it's a there's a give and take on that side too and it's and it's hard you know there's a lot of there's a lot of good television out there you know <laughs> and not enough time to watch it all <laughs> yeah you yeah that's right you have to want it you have to you have to want to do it yeah you, you have, yeah that's for sure but uh it's the the uh th- there's no more excuses that there's no opportunity because we all have opportunity now i think Oh, definitely. Yeah. And you got to make something for yourself too. You know, you don't, you can't just wait for someone to come drop it in your lap. You got to go, you got to go build a life for yourself or go build something for your family or your future. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for, I'm excited to see some of your videos here on the, all all of the, uh, uh, old native weaponry and bushcraft methods. And what, what, what do you got planned there? Oh, so, uh, actually, you kind of got me started. So, or before, so about, within the last year, me and my brother started kind of buying up uh, books about Alaska and stuff like that off of eBay or Amazon. And uh, you turned us on to a whole bunch of books, too, that I didn't even know existed. It's just a, it's just such a treasure, treasure trove of uh, books from just the area that I'm in here. It's just, it's amazing. And uh, one book, that I've been try- that I finally got last month that I tried for like four months to order and ordered over and over again it was a book by a guy named David Salmon or the Reverend David Salmon. He lived in uh, up the Black River in Chalkitsik, and someone interviewed him, took a whole lot of pictures, and and so I finally got the book in, and it goes over different different tools and weapons from like you know old in like spears and bows and arrows and clubs and stuff like that. So starting probably this spring, I'll probably be making, probably right after trapping is done, I'll start making some of those tools that are diagrammed. They, it, not only does it show the tools, but it kind of talks about the making of the tools and all that. So I think that's going to be some just awesome content, making some, of those, making some of those tools and weapons. Yeah, things that people nowadays don't even know existed or were used. Yeah, and like a lot of it too has really specific measurements, huh? Like when he, when David Salmon went and told the guy that wrote, put this book together, there was very specific like measurements when it came to even just a walking stick. Like certain things had to be a certain way, or like there's a spear, like a grizzly bear spear in that in that book, and that's probably going to be one of the. I don't. I'm not, probably won't be the first tool I make, but it'll definitely be one of the one of the one of the first tools that I put together, using a bone using a bone spearhead, on like a you know seven, eight foot, or like an eight foot plus long spear that was made to kill grizzly bears. So it's just, it's just an amazing book with just so much information that it's going to make some really awesome content. You know what I thought was interesting is is the variations in the designs from village one village to the next. Yeah, there's a, 
So not just the variations of how things are built, but the the language. Uh, so our our Gwich'in language is so it covers such a vast area all the way up into Canada that in every village is so spread out. Our you know when when the only way to get back and forth is by walking or dog team, like the our Gwich'in language just from village to village it varies. Just the littlest things varies just greatly. Uh, but a lot of the a lot of the tools that are in that book from the from the uh, Black River area, like a lot of the tools are probably a little more similar than the languages. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be a that's going to be a fun one. And there's all sorts of tools in that book about from tanning skin to bow and arrows and the specifics on arrowheads. And it's just it's amazing the information that some people have. And I I'm really I'm really excited to see the the stuff my brother is going to find when he interviews elders. Yes, I, I am too. Now, did did they have any of those old? Uh, th- they used to weave like nets, and they I read where they would catch muskrats in the runs. They would hold the net in a muskrat run and wait until a rat swam into it and and scoop them up. Uh, I know a lot of stuff was done with uh, like willow traps, uh, so like fish yes. traps and stuff like that, yeah. and and sinew sinew snares and stuff like that. Uh, I know there were some people that wove nets and stuff uh, a long time ago, but there's just a lot of that information that's like almost like gone. So unless unless some some of us start like redo like reusing some of that old technology, that like it's like there's some there's some books out there that go into pretty good detail about how some of those things were built. But yeah, it's kind of going to be one of my one of my missions is to like re- at least rebuild or remake some of these some of these old technologies that they used. That I think my people had used in the past. I think it was Bell Herbert's book where she talked about. I could be wrong, but I think that she talked about netting muskrats in the runs. But I can tell you right now, I I would not have the patience to sit there for hours to wait for a muskrat to swim by. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, a long time ago, that was what everybody did. Springtime came around, everybody was ratting, and so there was. So in the Yukon Flats, there's I don't even know how many lakes and marshes and stuff like that. It's a just a just a crazy amount of of lakes and marshes and sloughs and stuff that people could rap on. And it's not really done anymore because there's not a whole lot of money uh, in rap trapping. But uh, but yeah, they would. I'm pretty sure it was in the thousands they would get. Oh yeah, just, uh, I, I remember. And that would it, it, like like Joe Ward up on the up the Porcupine. I, I, I remember Jim Jimmy Ward, uh, his son would, was bragged one time that he caught more rats than his dad, and it was like three thousand something rats, and and if you, th- oh, and if yeah, you yeah. think I, about I, the prices of rats back then, I mean with inflation and everything, they were making like uh, like what you and I make in a year on rat trapping in the spring. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, and that's that's how they afforded the that's how they afforded to get the gas and the. And Make the supplies those to boats. go from ratting to fish camp. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it really is. It really is amazing thinking about all that stuff. And yeah, I remember Jimmy Ward. Yeah, old man Jimmy Ward. I remember. I remember him in Fort Yukon meeting him when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I, I it would have been cool to meet him. I've just heard all the stories. <laughs> Sounds like quite a character. Yeah, yeah. Him and my him and my grandma had. Yeah, they were lived out on a trap line of. Uh, not sure, actually sure which trap lines, multiple trap lines up the up the porcupine and stuff like that. So, well, this was fun. What else do you want to talk about? 
Oh man, I don't know. There's a there's a whole lot to talk about, I guess, and under different. Uh, I'm not too sure right at this moment. Uh, I'll be I'll be trapping. I'll have. Uh, I caught another since the last. I put another video out yesterday uh, on my trap line. I have uh, I have a few more catches that I made, and another like two videos that I'll be editing to put up put up in the next week or so. But uh, I'll try to put out. I'll probably put out one trapping video a week until the end of uh, trapping. Nice. The nice. trap season. Yeah. So that. So that'll be going pretty good. And then from there will be. So that'll end the last of the. I'll probably put up the last of the trap videos by the end of April. And then so in the beginning of uh, April, there's uh, spring carnivals happening. There'll be one in Fort Yukon the end of March, and then one here in the beginning of April. And so we'll get video of those, uh, if there's dog races or different competitions and stuff that we have here, I'll make sure to get a lot more of that on video this year. Yeah, and people can catch some of your last year videos uh, of those. You had you had a few that you put out on the channel. Yeah, I have like the nail driving contest, and then we have a competition where who uh, who gets their teapot to a rolling boil first. <laughs> yeah, that was so, great. Stuff like that. I got a couple. <laughs> I, I don't know yeah, how you can make that yeah. look exciting, but you did pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, we got it on a couple a couple angles too that worked out just perfect. But uh so then from there we'll probably be messing with logs, uh either at the cabin under the mountain or adding on to the house here in the village. And then from there into May when the when the ice starts to go out here and the river opens up, we'll be heading down to go geese hunting. And so we'll make sure to get that on film. That's gonna be fun. That's a that can be a real rush there, getting, you know, 70, 80, 100 geese in a few days, you know, to bring back and, and to hand out to the village. Between quite a few of us, that will be going down. Nice. And then once once the geese hunting is all passed, then the lake will be opening up there. And so we'll be getting we'll get getting duck hunting video. And, and I actually got one video up last last year when me and my daughter went out and shot, and shot ducks from a canoe. And so we'll make sure to get a whole lot more of that on film this year. And from there, there'll be some time in June where we'll, where we'll probably be working on a cabin. And into July, we'll be heading down river to our fish camp and be fishing for whatever we can fish for, I guess, this summer. And from there, it's just it's just one one thing after another. We'll be probably heading back to the working back at the cabin again in August, and then moose hunting, caribou hunting, and bear hunting in September, or bear hunting here and there probably all summer. And from September, yeah, moose hunting, caribou hunting, and in October, just getting ready for winter again, and hopefully start trapping by the end of November this year, a little earlier. So that's kind of our that's, that's our loop of activities. Oh yeah, then we'll be out uh, picking berries in different places in the fall time. Uh, so there's just a there's a whole lot of content for me to film. So Lord willing, I'll be able to get a lot of it up to to kind of show everybody. Who says it's boring out there? <laughs> <laughs> Not me. That's for darn sure. There's nothing boring about being up here. All right, on, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. This was fun. Oh, no problem, man. Anytime. Thank you for listening in. It was great to have you here, as always. One last plug, trappingtodaystore.com, where you can get your trapping lures, get some of my books. Uh, I've got a, still the three-book pack. has been really popular. I've been selling a lot of those recently. The three-book pack is More Than Wolverine and Alaska Wilderness Trapline, 
Walter Arnold Maine Trapper, stories from one of the last mountain men, and uh, a fall fur hunt in Maine in 1800s uh, story of an expedition in the Maine woods. So pretty cool set of books, and you can get them all three for 40 bucks shipped. Uh, excellent deal if you're looking for that, and I would appreciate your business. Also, stock up on your trapping lure. I've got a bunch of lure here going into the spring beaver trapping season. I know a lot of you guys are probably going to be looking for some lure. Please try Birch River Beaver Lure. It's been an excellent lure and and has uh, been it's made its way all over the United States, man, and up in Alaska as well. And been uh, it, it's it's a really really good lure. It's kind of it's a caster based lure. You really can't go wrong with caster. A couple of other ingredients to to really uh, increase the effectiveness in catching beaver. And it's mixed into a grease base uh, that allows for it to be much more water repellent. So it, it kind of, it, it does a good job of, of being pretty waterproof and this stuff lasts a long time. It, it's, this is the lure that I, I was just amazed when I was testing it. Like I, I'd have it out and, and I have it out between the house and the fur shed for a while just just kind of curious how long it would last and like a week later 10 days later i'm still walking by that and smelling it i'm like you got to be kidding this thing is still cranking out scent after rains and threes and thaw and everything else so that's kind of what i was going with with this these grease-based lures is try to try to make it more weather resistant because we get so much precipitation and up and down temperatures here in, in maine so um, it's it's worked quite well so far. Anyway, guys, thanks again for everything. And I don't I haven't had a chance to really talk much about what's going on here in the future. Uh, big thing, Trapping Today magazine. Keep up with that. And if you haven't already seen the magazine or read it, please go ahead and do that. Trappingtoday.com slash magazine or just do a Google search. You'll find it. So got that out. That's kind of the latest thing. And uh, as we move into the spring months, uh, I'm you're gonna hear a lot less from me. That's kind of um, I, I've, I've been I know, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about what I was gonna do here moving forward over the next few months, and that's one of the things that uh, that you'll hear more about in the next episode. I have Chris Pope from Coyote Trapping School. A lot of you guys have listened to his podcasts in the past. He's been gone for about two and a half years now. And we're going to catch up with him and see what he did and why he left. And for a lot of the same reasons, uh, you're probably going to be hearing less from me in trapping today. That doesn't mean I'm giving up on trapping today. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm committed to doing it. But uh, I'm going to be ghost for you know a month at a time here here and there so just kind of get ready for that um, I will always come back but it's very difficult to allocate a lot of time and effort in something that is uh, just such a small industry and very difficult to uh, to balance with with other opportunities and things that I want to do because let's be honest I want to my main goal in doing this is to create the ability for myself in the future to be able to trap more to work less and to trap more. Uh, so for selfish reasons, I need to find ways to make that happen while also hopefully c- continuing on with Trapping Today and kind of uh, giving you guys a lot of the 
sort of trapping connection and, and something to listen to and something to watch and something to read at the same time. So stay tuned. Looking forward to it. Always great to hear from you guys. Jrodwood at gmail.com. J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. Keep on talking trapping. Keep on thinking trapping. We'll catch you on the next episode.